I was a little depressed today thinking about how many listeners do we have? I'm happy for the ones we have. And then I thought, how many do we have that we don't know, like by name that we've met? Yeah. And I know of one person. I know of two people that listen to the show who I don't know. How do you find that out? Uh, they wrote to me with, with a question. Oh, yeah. Great. That's one, awesome. One, it was the Misfits of Science episode from last year. And one was um, someone who, uh, you know what? Now I can't really talk about it because I'm like, what if they did like it and listen to this show, which is, you know, whenever later from the last one, because I was just about to trash them, which is rude. You can't use this though, because if only two people have reached out to you, you're, both of them will think you were about to trash them. And that would be no good. Well, the one who talked about Misfits of Science knows that it wasn't them because I mentioned them. It's the one who talked about topic redacted um, that would think that. There's probably more than two people that I've even heard from, actually. I threw that in there to throw them, to throw them, to throw them, <laughs> to throw them off the scent. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, where we try to understand the present by living in the past. I am Bob Canning. And I am Tim Blevins, and I think I liked what you just did. I I, I, I laughed a little, but I turned away from the microphone. I think, <laughs> did I do it wrong? I thought I did it right. I you did it right. I was caught up in how you said Popcast, which now I'm like, already I think my mind has altered how oh, you said no. it. So I'd have to go back and listen uh. to it. But thanks for opening it. Yes, we're back. And you're back, and I'm back, and we're on the same show, which is... Ah, uh, yes. It feels a little out of that. sorts, because we haven't been <clears throat> weekly. We did some in December took a couple weeks off we did one we did that x-files episode but the but uh you know then last week's episode by the time this goes up wasn't something we did together and then tonight people don't need to know this but i'm gonna say it anyways we're gonna attempt to record two episodes so we're catching up with what we're doing that's right yeah we've gotten through the hump of the holidays and we'll get back into the swing holiday hump did you hump for the holidays is that something you did was that a gift did you get a book of coupons that allowed that you did yeah I didn't think that was going to go anywhere. I, I again, you might as well use a name because you have you have revealed a lot <laughs> about this partner, yeah, she, spouse of yours. Yeah, the, the the spouse. Yeah, she is a very busy woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she doesn't she doesn't listen to a lot of the podcast, unfortunately. She listen to any? Uh, she's listened to a few. What's um, out of curiosity? Which 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 uh, which few? Oh gosh, let me see if I can recall. And the, do it in real time, first, like. The first three, for sure. So it's been a year. Uh, been a year. Huey, Lewis, okay. Huey Lewis and the News one. Yeah. Um, I think she listened to the one with Brent, because she's a fan of Brent. So we need more Superman. Brent on the show. More yeah, saxophone, more Brent. She keeps, more she Brent. keeps saying more Brent. Okay. Uh, so so whatever I say about her here, I, I so far I don't really have to worry about it, mm-hmm. uh, except for her name. Well, I, I would think the humping part might maybe. I mean, I guess that's healthy. I don't think that's going to – that's not going to bother her. No. Okay. No. No. Uh, yeah, it's healthy like you're saying. Or it can be. There's ways to do it wrong. There's ways to do it in- injuriously, I imagine. I think continuing to talk about it might be the wrong thing to do. Okay. That makes sense. Right. <laughs> that's sensible. But uh, here we are. Um, our second show together. Um, the show's been running. By the way, by the time this airs again, it'll have been. I, I like saying that phrase because it really makes it feel like we're prepared. By the time the show airs, or it makes it sound like we're not. Like by the time this airs, who knows what the world will look like? Maybe we won't have Hawaii. But um, at least as we're recording the show, this podcast has been running for a year now. Actually, I think a Woo! year and a year and two weeks. Year and a week. Two by the weeks. Time up because. Yes, a year and a week. Um, it's weird, too, because the website makes it look like a bunch of episodes came out later in the month. But looking back, they did. So um, that's interesting, as is this sentence. Yeah, we're moving <laughs> around. So, I mean, how are you feeling? Because last year, some of our strongest episodes, I think, came before we were performing for the microphone. But, you know, how, how are you feeling about the show existing, being a thing now for 365 or so days? I'm proud of us for, for, for staying on top of it, for continuing it. Lesser men would have quit long ago. Mm-hmm. And we are not lesser men. We're not lesser men. No, that's true. We're not leathermen either. But um, no. yeah, I'm, I'm happy with most of it. I'm sure there's been some duds through there. I think there might have been a few 
downers. Can you think of an episode that if you were to say, hey, you want to hear our worst episode? And then would you be able to tell someone what that is? Like, you know, similar to the, the space episode of X-Files. Because I have one. I actually know of one that I think, and maybe I'll put it in the show notes, is our worst episode. Least favorite. What's episode. our worst episode? I think we did an episode early on where, um, and we did, we recorded it during a rainstorm. And I don't know why we're having this conversation. We have plenty to talk about. <laughs> But just to unsell anyone who maybe suddenly sold on the show and thought, hey, because we were talking before about how we want a, a wider audience. So I thought what better way to solidify that by admitting we have some sh shows in the can, so to speak. We did a uh, Brady Bunch Exorcist episode that I tried to re-listen to recently. And that goes nowhere. We, did, we haven't gone back to that. That was our uh, Before We Were Born pop episode, right? Yeah, which is a fine topic because there are plenty of things. Planet of the Apes, uh, Blazing Saddles, Mary Tyler Moore, some of the commandments. I mean, all these things happened before we were born, if they actually happened in the case of some of those things. But this particular episode, I we have kind of an interesting Brady Bunch conversation because I, I, I think you, you, you connected with Peter. There's some family stuff there. I like it when the show yeah. kind of goes into – personal past a little bit and explores that as is the goal but oh you like today then I, should we just do that should i not trash the <laughs> section of that episode that i was going to about the exorcist that i was going to talk about no finish finish your thought well i was just gonna say we do the brady bunch thing and then we segue into talking about the exorcist week very very weekly i think we do a little game in the middle that we've never gone back to which was brady or belvedere a segment i would <laughs> like to return to where we try to guess is the plot line from the brady bunch of belvedere but the Exorcist. I made that game up on the spot, by the way. That wasn't. You don't have to tell me that because I know that it was apparent. I know, I know that. I'm, but it was I'm telling fun. our new listeners, mm -hmm. our new listeners who weren't around for that, who aren't going to go back to hear this episode because I'm going to that tell you. That might be part of why it wasn't such a great episode, but continue. I think that was strong. I think the 25 minutes that we spent just saying, and it's just scary, you know, because it's just, it's scary. And it's just scary because all that stuff's scary, man. Because that could be scary. Like if that happened to you, I don't know if this was that said in the lines. Yeah, if that happened to you, the the that would be scary. <laughs> and what, the the what would happen to you part would be like if 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 a, a hell spawn, a demon, something that maybe or may not doesn't <laughs> exist, entered your body and started your skin burning and made you float and hover and threw up on someone you knew and made you implement yourself like crucifix yes that we we can guarantee that's that would be scary scary yeah We're talking about it right now now imagine that but for 20 minutes that was that episode. wow i'm i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that episode well you don't have to but yes you know if you want to i would say it'd be nice to start i think we try to do this in the show notes every week on the website boy this is a slow start we'll get into it in a minute everyone i think what i'm thinking is that you know we, we i want to start directing people to the website more the website does a pretty sure. good job of, I think, recommending past episodes that might be relevant to this episode and giving a little list of um, – I'm sure it's a website, which is 20 – ah, I'm so bad at this. I'm bad at this. No, it's, it's no you're not. It's uh, 20popcast.com. I was bad at that. It is a, yeah. No, it's it's a fantastic website. Well, it's a good website. Um, okay. It's a, it's a medium – Okay, that's well a perfect done. way. It's an okay website. website. It's got all the past episodes there linked so you can listen to them. You do a great job giving little bonus links. It's it's a lot of fun. I I, I go to it a lot. You don't think I do, but I'm there a lot. No, no. I mean, I guess you're half the traffic, so thank you. That's probably true. But yeah, um, where was I going with that? I don't know. You know, that's probably good for the end of the show. Why don't we start the show? And I do. I say yeah. it like that in case we want to cut any of this out. What – um. <laughs> Uh, now that we're back together, kind of talking, uh, where was I going with this? I guess, oh, well, the Brady Bunch portion of that episode that I'm telling people not to listen to, again, I enjoyed it because it very much did kind of tie into your childhood, at least. And from that, yeah. I thought we could segue into a topic for today. Bob, do you want to do that? Sure. Yeah, we're going to go back to our childhood, our high school years, huh? and something, and talk about something that I think is very near to both of us, the music that we would listen to in our high school years. We uh, both absolutely uh, enjoy having music playing. Um, me, I enjoy it playing absolutely all the time. Me too. And uh, sure. I was the same. I was the same in high school too. I was too. And I think high school, what we're doing, we're going to talk about our favorite, each of us are going to kind of list our, our three favorite albums from high school, you know, junior, senior, kind of what our, our, our most favorite albums are. And I'm saying albums. I know they're, 
probably compact discs or or cassettes. I don't know. Cassettes. They're cassettes, cassettes for you. Okay. Yeah. See, for me, and this is, and then what we can jump into it this way. The the the, the ones I'm going to mention, we're still calling them albums. But the ones I'm going to mention, they're all compact discs because uh, there there was a, a shift in, in in how I interacted with music, probably around 11th grade where, you know, I had cassettes, you know, I had cassettes before I had a CD player, but they were all movie soundtracks. And then I think maybe, you know, there there were some comedy albums. There was a lot of Weird Al albums, Blues Brothers albums, but you know, it was very selective. And then, you know, I'd listen to the radio and I would tape things off the radio. But when it came time for compact discs, that's when I started reaching out to bands and, and the easier route to go was kind of like, well, I got to get the Aerosmith. I got to get the Led Zeppelin. I got to get the door show kind of stinking my fingers into what was popular for my brother. And therefore I liked it. But something that happened with CDs was since I got a CD player, but no one in my house had CDs, I had to build up a collection. So I started going out and buying uh, music and I wasn't someone who really wanted to buy music on CD that I already had on cassette that did happen eventually, but I was avoiding it at first. So that was sort of either forced me or allowed me to start exploring music as a whole, the bigger scope of music, things that weren't John Williams and the Back to the Future soundtrack and Dan Aykroyd's albums. You know, I I was finding music and, and high school was important to me because I found some bands in high school that I think really impacted the music I pursued as, as, as time, as, as time went on. Yeah. That was an experience that I didn't have until later. So what, um, what were you listening to in high school then? What, what, um, well, prior to these three and the reason I picked these three, uh, is because I guess, I guess it was similar to, to that. Um, because these were sort of departures from what I was listening to. Uh, but I was I was just a radio guy. Um, I was a radio guy, and whatever my mom and my aunt had playing, which was usually uh, Kenny Rogers or Barbara Streisand or Liza Minnelli, uh, which and I think we've talked about on the show. One third of that, by yeah. the way, I really like. I'm a huge fan of Liza Minnelli. Did you like the music that was your mom and your aunt's music, or did, was it on I, and you were? I did. did. Yeah, I mean, because it, it was what I was familiar with, so. Um, I did like it and I do like it. I mean, it's not something I go back to all that often, but there are bits and pieces there. I mean, my mom totally wore out her Liza with a Z live concert album. Sure. I knew every word of that thing. I could sing it uh, front to back. Not well, but I could. That's kind of like a um, show tune album, right? Liza Minnelli's kind of like old standards or, or yeah. show tunes. Did that? Yeah, she's put, and she's putting on a show too. It's like she's she's talking to the audience and just putting on a, a one-woman show kind of thing. Now, is that what you thought music was? Like the music you started to pursue, is there any sort of a segue from Liza Minnelli begot this, which begot this, which got you to whatever you're going to say? Like like what what got you to something that wasn't your aunt's? music or your mother's music yeah i i think it was a combination of of um friends and what they were listening to um my grandparents and my aunt who lived together getting cable and having mtv so you did so i had mtv i didn't have it in my house we didn't have cable in my house for a long time but whenever i was at my aunt's uh i would i would watch mtv um and uh, yeah, I think MTV was really the thing that kind of opened me up to different things. But I think subconsciously, I, I, looking at my my first uh, selection here, subconsciously, I, I can see how uh, Liza Minnelli may have played a part in, in one of these albums um, or, or just the genre of music that uh, I, I enjoy still. So yeah, we're going to talk about like very specifically. These are probably our three favorite albums of of later high school or yeah, high school years. What is this first one? What, why don't we Why don't we start with that? Because one, I'd like to hear the segue sure. from Lionel, but two, we can start talking about it. Absolutely. Um, it may come as no surprise to any of our fans and and avid listeners. First one is Harry Connick Jr. We are in love. Can't tell by the sound of your voice if you're really in love with me. Um, I think this is its third album. Mm-hmm. If we count the 
uh, When Harry Met Sally soundtrack. Oh, well, that's, that's kind of out loud. What are the other two? No, but, <laughs> but no, that makes sense. I mean, Harry Connick Jr., how would you describe him as a, as a musician? At least back then, not so much as the talk show host, Will and Grace, ex-husband. Yeah, no, he, he was uh, he was sort of a, a you know the big band revivalist. Um, he came from New Orleans. He's a piano man. Um, actually, his first couple albums were just him and piano covering old standards. This was like his first kind of uh, big debut where it's his own original uh, tracks, his own original songs, uh, some covers in there as well. But uh, it's it was like his big debut. When was it released? Do you know when it first came out? Uh, we Are In Love was released in 1990, and how, wh- July 3rd. When did you come across it? July 5th, perhaps? Oh, so uh, pretty soon. When like, it was I brand was, new, you found it. I was already it. aware of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How, um, how did you come to it? Like, I guess the Liza Minnelli said. Well, I, I, yeah, there's Liza Minnelli, but I knew of him from, you know, our, our favorite When Harry Met Sally. Oh. I mean, yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> Why the grunt? Really? <laughs> I think you're just tired of talking about it on this, on this podcast. We haven't this year or so. <laughs> Two weeks in. Um, but yeah, no, that and uh, I was also uh, in high school, 1990. I think I was at that year in the vocal jazz uh, choir at my school. Mm-hmm. I was in chorus. That was one of my classes. And then I did vocal jazz was like an after school thing. Um, and so I was in that and those other friends were aware of him and uh, it was pretty it, it was he was kind of there. It wasn't like this hidden thing that I had to seek out. He was he was there. He was, kind of shared. was he popular? Like was he radio hits? Was he considered cool? Like where where did Harry Connick Jr. stand in 1990? You know, I think he was VH1 popular. Yes, because I saw perhaps. him on VH1 quite a lot. You're right. Yeah, yeah, but not uh, not uh, radio play popular. But, the, but kids in your uh, school were listening. Unless you were listening to a particular. Kids in my circle of vocal jazz were listening to them. Mm-hmm. Like the football players weren't listening to Eric Conk Jr., but the, the guys in musical theater were listening to Eric Conk Jr. Was there a setup in your school or any insecurity in your part of liking this album? Like, was there anything where this had to be secretive? No, no. Um, in fact, uh, and I might have mentioned this in a previous uh, podcast, There, uh, because we were in vocal jazz and we were musical theater types, um, we were always singing. Uh, in our circle. I mean, certainly we knew when not to sing, I guess. Um, and so, uh, I mean, we we would, there were three of us that uh, memorized some of these songs and would sing them, you know, we would try and do harmonies and stuff. We weren't fantastic, but we had fun doing it and the girls liked it. So we did it. But what, like there are plenty. To Harry Connick. To Harry Connick Jr. Why that? I guess because they're you know you're in musical theater. There must have been big musical theater soundtracks: Jesus Christ Superstar, Miss Saigon, something that everyone was singing. There is Liza Minnelli, like you said. What was yeah. the draw that made this the one? Like you're saying, it's one of your favorites. So why? Yes. For me, it's because it was modern. Mm-hmm. It was new. It wasn't something that other people might have had a history with. This was new to me. This was new to everybody. Um, he was, he wasn't really our age, but he was relatively our age. He was, <laughs> he was like twice in his, in his 20s. Age, wasn't he? I guess. He was, no, he was, he was only in his 20s. He was like 24, God, 25. still when, only when he, that ahead of us? He's about that age, yeah. Um, and so, and he was like, you know, from my perspective, he was a cool cat. He was... <laughs> He could sing. He could play piano. He had that hair. Uh, he was uh, attractive in that goofy-looking guy kind of attractive. Looks attractive good to suit. To be honest, I think he's still. Yeah, he definitely had a look. Was that something yeah. new? I mean, I guess you knew that from TV and stuff. Like, was that part of the picture? Like, there was this package of not package, but like there was kind of the, there was this look and this class to him that you're not getting from. I've got my jeans like right. Springsteen, or I've got my mascara like Susie of the Banshees. Like, was there something fashion about him that 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 attracted you to it? Like the album, the look, or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was wearing his suits. Um, his hair was slicked. He was he was definitely something I wasn't, <laughs> and uh, I was drawn to that. Now, do you remember getting the album it, itself? Uh, yeah, I, I I can't remember. I have this very distinct memory, and I can't remember if it's the same day I bought it. But I remember putting the tape into my grandfather's 
tape player in the car as we drove away from the mall. <laughs> I can't remember if I just had the tape with me or if that was the day I actually bought it. But um, his complaint, I remember this, was that the songs, the way the songs progressed, there was like the first one was this loud, big band, you know, big horns. The second one was more quiet, some strings and piano. Then the next one was loud again. And we kept having to turn it up and turn it down. And that really annoyed the hell out of him. It's like, just decide on a volume. God, I'm, and this sounds horrible. I'm glad he's not here to hear the podcast. I think that we have the same issue with levels here at times. But, um, but that's true. You, I, I don't know why this strikes me as weird. Getting music back then, did you have a Walkman? Or was it like you get your music? Uh, yeah, I had a Walkman. I had a boombox and a Walkman. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, then my – I don't think I had a tape deck in, in my mom's car, but my grandparents had a tape deck in the car. So Now, when you bought it, it did right you know in. what it sounded like? Did you know the songs on it or were you nervous? Like was – I would get this way. I guess I should have said that first. But like was it nervous to be putting this right in to hear it for the first time with other people around? Was that nerve-wracking? No, not this. I, I knew enough about uh, Harry Connick that it, I knew it wasn't going to be terrible and I knew it wasn't going to offend my my grandparents or my aunt if she was in the car. I can't. I think it was just my grandparents. Uh, I thought they'd like it, actually, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I wasn't nervous. I was kind of excited to hear what the next song would be. Like, I, I have this memory of knowing the opening song, which is the title track, We Are In Love. Um so then every song after that was new to me at the same time that it was new to my grandparents. So I was excited to hear what the next ones would sound like, but I wasn't nervous about it. Was, was he on the radio, like pop radio? I don't think so. Uh, I listened to 93Q out of Syracuse, New York. And <laughs> uh, there was a reason, but yes, I did. <laughs> there, was, there was never any Harry Connick Jr. played on that station. I'm sure that there are classical music or jazz stations where he was played, but not on, not on pop radio. Which is too bad because a lot of his songs are very poppy. Was there a single or, or were there singles off this album? Uh, I, I have no idea. I didn't seek out singles and I didn't hear it on the radio. This was uh, the I would imagine album. the title track. You like this album as a full album. I do. I do. I've listened to it front to back. It would be a uh, walk into school tape. Um, <laughs> I would... I would often no, strut yeah, I would. School, and, big man and Mulberry strut in the school. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and we would, uh, uh, I would definitely uh, wear it out, like at uh, at musical theater, because you know you'd go and they'd be setting up the stage, and you'd just be sitting in the auditorium waiting for your rehearsal time or whatever. And so that's what I was listening to. That and one of the other tapes here that we'll mention later. Now, was there any connection to what he was singing about, or was it more just he's singing? Oh, yeah, there was. Oh yeah, what's that then? Because I don't, was, I don't think of him. I, you, it's funny you say he was only like seven or ten years older or whatever than us. I just thought of him as an adult, like when Harry met Sally, adult, but covering these old songs. So I honestly, while I knew who he was and I liked the, it had to be you, I did not care for him that much in high school because I was like, sure. I can't relate to this. Sure. What is this he's doing? I like that he plays piano, but what what could you relate to in these big band sounding standards in 1990? Dude, he's singing about love. That's all he's singing about love and falling in love and meeting that special someone and staying with her or losing her. Yeah. Surely there were other bands doing that. You have other singers that can touch you. What, why is Harry Connick Jr. in his songs, which again, I really feel like it's it's just striking me out because I'm like, wasn't he aimed at our parents? Maybe not, but I just I I didn't know kids walking around my high school who had it. People maybe had the When Harry Met Sandra, Sally soundtrack, which I get, but because it's connected to the movie. But there's something to me. There's something about these songs on their own that didn't jive with me, that didn't connect with me. And so I'm just what what was it that it's this? And it's not like I've I've got to put on, you know, I, 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 what it takes by Aerosmith or, or or Fallen Angel by Poison. You know, why why is it this in 1990? I think we probably alluded to it earlier in that prior to this, I was listening to Barbara Streisand and my grandparents' Glenn Miller Orchestra. But did you uh, find love in those? Did you find they were talking about true love in those albums? No, I didn't find that, but I found the sound. I found the big band sound, uh, the, the orchestral sound, and I liked it. It's what I, it was, it made, it was my comfort 
sound. It was comfort music because that was my home. That was that's what I would be hearing while I laid on the rug playing with my Matchbox cars. So <laughs> to to hear it coming from uh, someone again, sort of my generation, uh, who's sort of hip, who's kind of this. <laughs> you know, uh, underground jazz musician compared to like, you know, the, the Bruce Hornsby's on 93 Q I've got, you know, Harry Connick Jr. He's, he's my guy. There was something about, there was something different about him. He's not yeah. Bruce Hornsby or the Mike and the mechanics or the Steve Winwood. He's yeah. apparently Steve at the Winwood. time, I think you're saying the, the, he's the sonic youth of jazz. Yes. There you go. We got there. So that's striking you. So there's something to that. I mean, I, I, I guess I get that. And this one stuck out from all the other albums. I mean, is it, you know, here we are almost 30 years on. Do you still listen to this album? Do you put it in still? Um, I don't put it in because just that's just not how I listen to music anymore. I don't have the the uh, the tape deck. I don't have um, – I don't have the tape, so I wouldn't need the tape deck. But I, uh, but it is it's it's loaded into my iTunes. It's loaded onto my iPhone, um, and it is something that just in my mix of listening to songs at random, it's there and they come up and the songs come up. And I will point out too, uh, one of my favorite songs off the album is called Heavenly. It's the last track on side one or A. I'm not sure what he called it, and it's it's basically an acapella song. And it's just a cute, it's a cute little song. It's it's cute. It's a cute little song about the man in the moon falling in love with the girl in the world. And I have, since my children were babies, sung that to them oh. uh, as a, as their lullaby. My one man version of that. <laughs> um, I don't I don't sing it as often as I did, but you know, first three four years of their life, they heard it every day. So it is ingrained. That that I, that. That's nice. That's that's kind of passing along kind of thing. That I, I, yeah. I would not have expected that out of this album. What's what's your uh, first album that you want to talk about? Um, like I said, you know, with, with with CDs, the ones I'm going to talk about, high school and all, they're they're, they're compact discs. So I was discovering music, and the, one of the main albums I think of whenever I think about high school is an album called um, Godfather. F-O-D-D-E-R, by the band Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Do you know them? Do you know this band? I do. I, I didn't listen to them. I don't listen to them much, but I know the band. So yeah, they're like a British... I guess recently I've read they're, they're considered shoegaze rock or whatever. They're they're this British band. They have two bass guitars. They were kind of noisy for me. And, you know, I, I, I heard them or, 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 or discovered them or whatever um, in that way that I think we've talked about before. Um, it was The album came out in 1991, but I would have come across it in 1992. And that's thanks entirely to uh, Jason Kratt. This kid in my high school, this resident motorhead patched leather jacket greaser guy who I happened to be friends with at the school store. You know, we, we had a school store and my tucked in shirt friend Rob Noah said ran the school store, I think. Um, you know, and it was similar to like when we, we saw three o'clock high, it was like we sold candy and we sold papers. And for some reason it was open in the morning. I would always get there early and Jason Kratt got there early too. And, and somehow we hung out like we hung out in that scenario. And he really he was one of these people. I was just like, why does he like me? Why are we hanging out? And we would talk and stuff. And what we would talk about would be his music. And he exposed me to music. You know, he was this sort of scary punk again with long hair, but for some reason that I couldn't comprehend, we got along. And, you know, if he wasn't talking Ramones mania, he was talking the Pixies or that one Misfits song I knew at the time, but Somehow he got this Ned's Atomic Dustbin album into my hands. I, he actually may have had it on cassette. I, I, I don't remember, but I heard tracks yeah. off of it. And I think partially it was just the name, you know, and the, and the look of it, like the look of the logo is, it looks like a radiation uh, warning. It, you know, it had nuclear fears looks to it. It's that three pointed, you know, nuclear waste warning symbol with their name on it. And, you know, it just, it wasn't something I had ever seen. It wasn't a band I heard people talk about. And on top of that, I liked the music. So, you know, after he let me 
after he lent it to me, I think one of the reasons this album strikes me is this was one of the first albums I rushed out to buy. Like, I have to go find this. You know, I have to get to the CD and track down that, or the CD store, record store, track down that long box at the Eastbrook Mall and purchase the CD, you know, which I did. And I only had a knowledge of a couple of songs and I brought it home and it's just, no one else had this album. I mean, Jason did, but my closest friends, you know, who I would share like classic queen or Aerosmith or pretty soon Pearl Jam, they, they didn't have this that I knew of, you know, and I didn't talk to them about this. Um, but I listened to it and it just kind of washed over me. It was insular to me because again, it wasn't something I was, I didn't see this kid, Jason Crad a lot. So it wasn't like I was sharing this with people. I wasn't telling people to listen to it. Um, it was just something that I got to listen to. I didn't talk about. So it kind of just existed like in my bones. And it was probably the first album to really do that because it was a full album and it was mine, you know, mine to kind of, own and feel and experience so it was it was a very private kind of thing did you ever want to share it or did you just enjoy like how how much of it it was just for you you know i'm sure i put it on mixtapes when i made for people because there were songs again i that i loved that i wanted to share but those it was kind of like sharing like and here's a song i found you're not going to know this band you know, I felt right. like this is the song that'll represent me on this mixtape that has Going to California by Led Zeppelin or, you know, Light My Fire by The Doors. And then here's Gray Cell Green by Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Here's Kill Your Television or Happy. And and I do, I, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was playing it in my room. It was sort of this introduction to, to, to holding yourself off with music and the band and the songs kind of play to that. You know, they, they, they play to this misanthropic, uh, like mindset that I was forging, you know, they're, they're, all their songs are kind of about falling short, you know, having a self-awareness of faults and being judgmental of yourself. And even though the, the lyrics didn't always make sense, you know, they were nihilistic enough to be appealing. They were rebellious enough for me to, to, to feel like they were important. And, um, you know, they, they were a little bit, you know, they were, they were kind of just a, feeding into just not finding comfort in the concept of comfort. And I, and I think to have a whole album like that meant a lot to me. Were the, the lyrics, did they connect with you too? Or was it just this overall vibe kind of thing? It's, parts of the lyrics did. To this day, like the song Grace Cell Green, I don't know what all of that is about. But I do know that there are select lyrics in it that I scrawled on my desk. Like my parents yeah. still have the desk I grew up with. And there are just lyrics from this album written all over it. There were key words, you know, phrases. You know, there's a song called Kill Your Television, which was like this mind-blowing battle cry to me, you know, against television, which who, who the fuck am I to yell against television? I love television and this song was saying that it was trash you know these things we like are trash and waste and you know that that kind of hit me and and it was a little bit of like you know am i a phony is the song thinking i'm a phony it's interesting to me to have that feeling and then i'm listening to it so someone listening to me listen to this to know that this is how i feel like it was it was this shape of an opinion sort of thing yeah. yeah, there were plenty of lyrics in these songs that just spoke to this whole, you don't get me, stop telling me how to live, how to be, here's this, you know? And yeah. and, and, and I, I'm sure that was in other music. It's, in, it's, 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 you know, heartbreak music, you know, soulful music all has it. But to me, this was my introduction to sort of isolation in a way. And, and it was great because it was a full album that I wasn't hearing anywhere. So it was mine. That's what... I notice with a lot of music is like it's mine. Yeah, it's 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 something it's something special when when it's a discovery. Even if even if it's out there and they've got loads of fans, but you are discovering it on your own for yourself. That is a that is a special thing. Do you still listen to it? Do you go back to it? I do. I mean, I don't listen to the full album, but then again, I don't think I ever I think I stopped listening to the full album when I was young, but no, the opening five songs of that play constantly. I mean, Graysell Green, the song Graysell Green with its, it's beating like double bass and, and, and it's single chord little solo, or if you even call it a solo at the end, that I play a lot that, that I probably listen to every week. And the other songs I go back to, I, I listened to the whole album just before earlier today in preparation. And I was surprised at how much I remember of each song. Yeah. Like those lyrics yeah. are in my head. So yeah, I definitely go back to it. I, and I, 
I, I count it as one of my favorite albums. And it's not something I've ever really lost track of. What's, what's, the, what's the next of your albums there? Uh, the next one, I, and I kind of went back and forth between which album I was going to highlight. Uh, but the next one is from the band Living Color. I was hoping it would sh- be. Not the TV show, but the band. You Now, why were you hoping? When you arrived at Emerson our freshman year, mm-hmm. we were both setting up our music. You were all Huey Lewis Jr., Harry Connick Jr., <laughs> and, Jr. and you're about to describe them so people who don't know them may understand why. You, were, you had a Living Color album. I, I absolutely love their debut album, Vivid, but I, I'm going to probably talk more about their second album, Time's Up, because it came out as... Maybe the first time this century someone's talking about Time's Up, because I don't know. <laughs> so they played hard rock, five African-American guys playing hard rock, which at the time wasn't something you necessarily would get from, you know, African-American musicians. You'd either get... Um, really? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. Hard rock, like uh, at least that I was aware of. I okay. That might just be the towns we were in. I mean, I can't name some of. I feel like that's at the towns we were in. That's a closed-minded town thing that we both probably experienced. It probably is. In fact, one of my uh, things, the notes here, um, you like. Why did the? Why did it matter to me? I put not Oneida. Okay. That's 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 why it mattered to me. This is not music that I knew or heard of. Uh, this was not Liza Minnelli. No, no, I don't think they do covers. Uh, but what was it then? Yeah. What was it that wasn't Oneida about it? Um, it was it was heavier rock than I was used to. I I at the time probably called it thrash metal, although in <laughs> retrospect, it's not that. No, but terms um, are weird. I I agree. Like I wouldn't call it that either, but I can see why you would say that. Plus, it's probably cool to think. And I have a favorite thrash metal band now. <laughs> I don't think I, I I I don't think I have a thrash metal band that I actually know. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like back then, like you're saying it's something different. Like yeah, why would yeah. it wouldn't just be rock because it was that different? It was on the radio though. Is that how you first yeah. found them off the radio? Yeah, Cult of Personality was was what I first heard uh, off the radio and more more on MTV. It was it was the counterculture. I don't know if it was officially the counterculture, but it was my counterculture. Mm-hmm. It was it was not Oneida. It was not my mom's music. Um, so it was it was my rebellion, uh, I guess. And how did it you find that? What was it? The fact that the music was or was it the fact that what they're talking about and the rights they have to fight for as a minority were different. Like, what was it that made it your music? Um, it was, it was a lot of that. I, I really latched on to what they were singing about and, and the rights and the racism and who they were as people and, and that kind of thing. Um, because it wasn't something I knew or experienced or thought of much before that. Was it in the music you were um, hearing? Like, were there other musicians who were approaching and singing that you're listening to about similar issues? Uh, not before this that I can recall. I don't think Elton John did it much. Um, <laughs> did you listen to the whole album or was it just hits off of it? No, I listened to the whole album. I, uh, again, like I'm kind of talking about both of them because I listened to both of these albums a lot. Um, I probably listened to Time's Up more in high school. What's off of Time's uh, Up? Why would I? I don't think I know that. Um, they had one of the hits off of that was Love Rears Its Ugly Head. Yeah, I don't know that. Which is kind of a bluesy, slower love song. And then a very slow love song was The Solace of You. I don't know that either. No, I guess I don't know this uh, album. And then the title track, Time's Up. And uh, there was a song, Type, which I really liked. And it was this kind of thing where it was like, it was all about stereotypes. And it was sort of the musical eye-opening for me of that sort of thing. Because I didn't really get exposed to it as much as you would hope you would ahead of time you know it's like i'm hoping i'm doing a better job for my kids to to open them up to different 
Well, we grew up in small towns. I mean, my town was closed-minded. I mean, people wanted to be open-minded, and I think we were to the point that we can. But when you're living in a culture and surrounded by a culture of like-minded white people, it is hard to experience things. So it's interesting that music can do that. I think for me, I would be working very hard to identify with the music, almost to that pathetic, sad posing point where I'd be like, you don't know about the struggle of the black man. I do because I have these albums. Why did that voice just then? It makes me ashamed of myself, but that was my high school talking voice. I know it sounded right. weird, but but I think there would have been an angle for that. Did you find that? Did you find that maybe you're also on a soapbox now to the, um, in your community because a, this album made bit. you do it? Yeah. A little bit. Um, you know, th- this album and, and some of the others I listened to, um, Kind of because I and the next one we'll get to later um, is a hip hop album. And so this sort of segued me into a genre of music and genres of music that, again, was not what my family grew up with, was not what my family was listening to. And so um, not off of this album, but there's a a quote from another uh, from a rap album by the band KMD. I used to write it down all the time. It used to be on all my books. It was I, I did it in fancy lettering and put it in my locker. Um, it was a quote about skin color. I'm going to try and remember it if I can. Um, pigment, is this a defect in birth or more an example of the richness of earth? That's and stuck so with this you is, as something. That's, I mean, that's, that's stuck like as a, as a kid growing up in, in a basically all white community and hearing something like that and, and hearing about struggles that I have no uh, experience with, no reference to, no knowledge of. Um, was yeah, it was it was I think it hit me at a good time because it was before going off to college, before going to Boston where, you know, you're exposed to more things and more people and more cultures. Um it, had I not had uh, at least a taste of it through music like this, I don't know what would have been different about that. And I'm glad that I had some of that beforehand. I got a CD player my junior year, my birthday junior year, start of it, uh, 1991 is when I got my first CD player and the first CD player in the house. So to really use it, I had to be the one to get CDs. <clears throat> Very first CD I ever got was Piano Man by Billy Joel. I think I borrowed someone's door soundtrack. But quickly after that, I went out and I was buying CDs, uh, trying to accumulate CDs. And I think... One of back then, one of the easiest ways to do that was yeah, like a BMG Music Club, Columbia House yeah. Music Club. These clubs where, for the price of a penny, or I think for this one it's like the price of a dollar ninety nine, you would get this huge catalog of little stamps of different album covers, and you'd pick out the four, the six, the twelve, whatever it was that you were getting for this price. You'd lick the back of them, you put it on this card, and you'd mail it out. And they would show up six to 10 months later in this little cardboard box. And then each month, yeah, you'd be sending – people know what these things are, right? Do they still do them? I don't think they still do them. That's why I was explaining No, they, I don't think they do them anymore. Um, and I think the people that listen to this podcast probably know what they are. Well, because you do and I do and my folks do. That's right. Yeah, because we all witnessed them. But yeah, I joined a CD club to build a collection. And I remember the first four CDs I got in the mail um, – because at the time I thought these were important I, I got the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack okay um, Time Pieces the best of Stevie Nicks interesting Extremes Porno Graffiti got it I had that too and then the album that I'm going to mention, an important album, and an album that strangely had been around for two years before I finally got it, um, my favorite band of all time, The Replacements, uh, Don't Tell a Soul was the fourth disc in there. It was uh, their next to last studio album. It came out in 1989. And um, in 1989, they would have had a, a, a radio single with I'll Be You. Mm-hmm. That song, I'll Be You. I talked about this on the Paul Westerberg episode, I think. Yeah. I heard Album You on the radio and it altered me. You know, it struck me. It was the exact sound I needed to hear. It was the exact lyric I needed to hear. It was everything about this whole identity thing, music thing that I wanted that I taped it off the radio because they would do this top five at eight and it was part of that. So for two years, I had it on a cassette. I had Album You 
by someone. I don't even think I had the name of the band. Oh, so that's wow, how I knew the wow. song. Yeah. So I, I went around for a while not knowing what the album looks like, not knowing what it sounded like. I think I had heard randomly people talking about the replacements for a while. I went around thinking it was a Red Hot Chili Peppers because they both began with R. They were popular. But I just I had never seen the album. I had never heard the album. So when I however it was that I realized that's the replacements, when I saw it listed in this catalog for free CDs, that's what I ordered. Did you know it had I'll Be You on it? Was that I did so? I'm there must have been some research that yielded that. So maybe I saw it or something. But yes, I, I knew it had LBU. It was also I think the only they may have had, their last album may have been out by then too. I'm not sure, but that was the album that was listed. So yeah, I ordered it, and you know it arrived with all the weight of that because this was a song I I carried with me for two years. Yeah, this album better live up to that right. <laughs> this band whoever they are better live up to that and I, at the time opening that up i mean of those four cds i mentioned that's the only one i still have okay and that's the only one i, I listened to of those four and i love it i mean it was it, this was a big album for me obviously having albu and its completion was a big deal but the replacements and someday we'll talk about them. I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they're, they're an amazing band to relate to at many different levels. And I think for me getting into them with don't tell a soul, which is sort of their safest album, yeah. their poppiest album, their quietest album. It made sense to me because like it opens with talent show, which is this quiet song. It's not an arena rock anthem. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have some massively important guitar lick. It's just this little strumming song about playing some rinky-dink high school. Yeah. You know, and it had that line in it, it's the biggest thing in my life, I guess, is is one of the lyrics in it. And and that struck me right from the opening because that song was what being like artistic or an artist in high school was kind of all about. I mean, it was kind of about this, I do this here kind yeah. of thing. And it was right there in the fucking song. And so this album, especially the first half of it, played constantly like this 80s teen soundtrack to every scene I was in. You know, I mean, this album is really aimed at high school kids, at least for me as a high school kid. You know, not not as a punk or as as a stoner or as a goth. You know, not even like Bastards of Young, which is that, that anthem of theirs I eventually got into. But this album was like... um it was like this, you know, non-drinking, neurotically depressed wannabe playwrights album because it's all about disenchantment and it's all about rejecting the expected surroundings. And that's where I was at. You couldn't have asked for a better album, it sounds like. I don't think wow. so. I mean, it's just, you know, because again, not a jock, not political, not even really a nerd. I, I didn't necessarily, you know, I fit in okay at school. But I was also trying to avoid finding a place. You know, I didn't want to fit in. I wanted to to get out. And I think this album is kind of that thought process. You know, it's that, that idea. I think it it's really relevant to this high school mindset of just, you know, we'll inherit the earth, but we don't want it is a lyric. Aiken to be is a song. You know, anywhere is better than here is a song. You know, it's a good high school album. And, and you know, for yeah. me... It was that was great, kind of before I, I don't know, like before I discovered cigarettes, <laughs> drinking, bookstores, and some other example that's not as cool as I'm meaning the sentence to be. But it's it's weird. I don't like. I again, I listen to it today, and I like it. It takes me immediately back to high school, and it struck me today why I liked it. Everything I was saying, where it really is about not wanting to belong anymore, where you are, and that made sense, and it's low keyed. Their other albums are louder. Their other albums are, are snottier, brattier. Right. And I grew into that. And I grew into admire that. But this album, if Don't Tell a Soul wasn't so entwined in my high school DNA for those two years, really, if I'll Be You, the song, wasn't this mystical thing for two years that it was just hovering in my head as only the song that once I found out who sang it, the band, I could get the album it's on, all these steps to whittle down. If all that hadn't embraced me for those years, I don't know if they would be my favorite band. I know I would have heard them and liked them, but I don't think it would have been the pursuit to find them and get to know them that it mm. became. So this, you know, I, I don't tell a soul is important, but yeah, I don't, I don't listen to it yeah. that much. 
and the way you're talking about this album, like none of my albums are like that. I mean, they're albums I listen to a lot and they're albums that influenced me. I think probably the most influential one was probably the Harry Connick one, just because of the romantic, the romanticism of his songs is something I tried to emulate um, poorly, but tried. Uh, but the other two are just sort of different and rebellious. Although now that I'm thinking about it, maybe the third one had more of an effect on me than, than I know. Uh, on a well, what's, what's level. The third one is three feet high and rising from De La Soul. Okay, see, which I I don't know. I mean, I know their hit. What is their hit? <laughs> what do you consider their hit? Isn't it um, the uh, Groove is in no, the Heart? No, that's Delight. That <laughs> You're right, Delight Soul. I had that album. Yeah, I don't think no, I had it in high school. I, I wish you had said it because I wouldn't sound so stupid. No, uh, you're probably thinking of Me, Myself, and I. Me, Myself, and I was the big hit. Well, I mean, I don't know this album. So, what yeah. is it? Uh, it is, it's a hip hop album. It's a rap album from the band De La Soul, which is uh, two rappers and a DJ. Um, Pasta Deuce, Dove, and True Goy. No, True Goy is dove there's the it's weird because they all have these weird names mace is the is the dj or maceo true goy is true goy the dove which you could also call him dove the two guys that rap you could also call them plugs one and plugs two because that's what their mics were plugged into um you just got your own section of the show notes by the way congratulations thanks but uh yes they were a hip-hop band from new york um this was their debut album and it was a revelation for me because I knew a little rap before this and I was starting to hear like uh, gangster rap a little bit, but mostly all I knew was like Beastie Boys, MC Hammer. Um, these guys were like in my, they, they weren't like the real deal. Cause I knew the real deal was the earlier rap from the eighties, but these guys were like, for me taking it to a whole new level. They were, uh, their bit was, they kind of called it the Daisy Age. They were like the flower children of hip hop. They wore black medallions instead of gold chains. They were about, you know, uh, Africa and their homeland and not about making money. Um, so that their raps were about being who they were as opposed to being the coolest cats, you know, the, the, the best rappers, uh, the, the Big Daddy Canes or, or anything like that. They were just about being real and human and kind uh, and funny and artistic. And I think that's why I was drawn to it. And that's what I was kind of thinking maybe subconsciously this album might've affected me more than I know Um, because these guys were rappers, but these guys were going to high school. I mean, they were young. They were in their teens. 19, I think was, was maybe how so you found yourself a safe band that allowed you to say, I like Um, I guess. It, I don't know that it allowed me. I liked hip hop. I, I liked other hip hop bands uh, beyond this, but they were all kind of safe. They were all sort of from the same circle and they would name drop each other. And that's kind of how I would go know which band to pick up next. So like De La Soul would mention Tribe Called Quest or Third Base and Third Base would mention KMD. So I'd get KMD and they, you know, so it was a... Do you have a third base I, album? Because I have familiar. both third base albums. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. you have all the third base all. albums. So if anybody needs to purchase a third base album, Bob can be no, no, no. Out. But I'll I'll make you Art. a copy. But I'm not going to sell you my third base album. So you were listening to 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 um, De La Soul in high school. You listening to this album in high school. Were other people too? They had radio hits, right? People knew. Yeah, I had a, a few friends. Probably. Um, they were probably more into hip hop than I was. Um, a, a few of these friends uh, that would like I had De La Soul, I had Third Base, I had KMD, and I think I had uh, D Nice and maybe one other. Uh, I didn't have any Beastie Boys. I didn't get Beastie Boys until much later. But my other friends would have stuff like Big Daddy Kane and Cool Modi and uh, Public Enemy. Um, I didn't. I didn't get into that until later. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. So I had friends that listened to this, and I think. They probably listened to De La Soul less. I, I don't know for sure. I'm probably uh, remembering this wrong. But I feel like De La Soul for me was like a, a bigger uh, band than than the other ones for the other guys that were listening to uh, hip hop. 
But did you hear them first on the radio or how did you get this? I would have, this would have been yo MTV raps. I saw their me, myself and I video where they were in high school. They were being picked on by other quote unquote rappers, you know, characters in, in their video. The rappers that were dressed like uh, LL Cool J and and run DMC. Uh, And these guys were just in jeans and uh, uh, pastel shirts. And and, uh, they were just in class. They were in high school. And they were like giving presentations. And so like I immediately connected because I was in high school. They were giving their little presentation. So they'd get up in front of class and and rap their verse about being themselves and and – not uh, caring what other people think they're going to be me, myself and I, and it was awesome. It was funny. Perhaps my drive to be creative had some influence with this, with this album. Cause it's, it's not just a, a, a cool album musically, but it's cool. Lyrically it's smart. Um, it's cool. It's comical. There's a lot of rap albums would do skits in between and the skits in this one are kind of fun and funny and their lyrics are funny. Their personas are kind of funny and quirky. They're they're like rap geeks in a way. Um, and they were just creative. And they wanted to be different. And they sang about being different. And that was something that I connected with. And maybe subconsciously that helped me try and decide where I wanted to go with my life. And, and move into some sort of creative avenue. And, and create whether it's write or perform or sing or whatever. So what to wrap this up, because I think we, this has been great, but I think the episode ran a little long, so you don't have to get to my last one. But is there a through line? Like, obviously, you were hearing more music than just these three albums in high school. But is there a through, a through line or a thread or something that you could see as an umbrella that brings these three albums together that they were at the time as important than other albums? Yeah, I you? think it's uh, – to me, I think it's pretty obvious that they were – it's because they were different. They weren't what was playing on the mm-hmm. radio. They weren't what my family listened to. Um, they were, they were the. I, I said it before, but I don't think it quite fits. But it, it, in my world, they were the counterculture. None of the music you picked, to me, at first glance, fits where you're at with the music. I think of you liking. Where, as friends, we were at when you got me into you got me into a lot of bands in college and after college because you had them, and none of that to me seems fed by these albums. And yet, I guess somewhere in there, there's something about you. These albums fed into you. You didn't get me into Harry Connick Jr. I tried. You you didn't get me into The Living Color. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> you didn't get me into non-D-Light. Um, but it worked for you, and that's why these things are important. Yeah. You know, I think when we get to, for me anyways, when I get to college and after college, all of a sudden it became so important about being identified with the music. Yeah being the one who found it, telling people like, you got to listen to this. This is why this is important, blah, 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 blah. But high school didn't have that. These things were sincere. These things were important. And these things, it sounds like for both of us, spoke to us. And that's good. And that resonates. And even though maybe some of the mentality and whatever seems a little lost on me now these albums still do resonate so i'm glad it's good that we talked about it that was great that's fun that's the show every week visit uh 20popcast.com that's the website where you can always find the most recent issue recent episode up and streaming as well as all past episodes there's also links to subscribe to it on itunes google play android devices um there's other things there so check out the website we're gonna be working on that soon uh, you can always follow me follow me on instagram if you're gonna follow me anywhere follow me on instagram at subcultist i try to really use that and trying to put more stuff up there you can like our show on facebook bob what can people do if they want to follow they you? can Talking find about me on twitter life. as well at rh canning um and if you enjoy music and talking about it and hearing about what i think of music check out my uh uh, mixtape blog super ultra mega mix dot wordpress dot com where I am actually what was that super ultra mega mix one word super ultra mega mix dot wordpress dot com super ultra mega mix dot wordpress dot com that's correct okay yeah. I'm listening to old mixtapes that was the people remember thanks I appreciate it. great and the show notes <laughs> show notes everybody <laughs> I don't know well this fell apart as it often does but it was pretty good um, we'll be back. Uh, next week with a big anniversary episode. This is episode 49. If these go up in the order intended next week, another pointless anniversary. 50. 
you have anything to say to that? No, I, I was waiting. As, it seemed like you were building to a good ending, so I was just going to stay silent so you could cut it nice and clean. I know. Just people heard me last week end something. I think people like hearing you. And I don't. I know I don't always give you space, but I think people like hearing you. That's you know. So you, you do you want to end the? You want to end it? Sure. I, end it. I could. I started it. Let me end it. Catchphrase. Right. You can, I mean, you could have your own too. You could have your own uh, to use. I don't. I don't have one. Uh, what if that was a? I don't have one. That's how you ended every show. <laughs> I don't have with puberty. <laughs> I don't have it. Stay cool, listeners. How about that? Stay cool, listeners. That's it. <laughs> Here's the 50 episodes of that now. <laughs> Stay cool, listeners.